0: Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, Dave Filoni, and the rest of the team at Lucasfilm have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the one, the only, Dan Z, and I are recording this on Wednesday, September 2nd. And I'm wondering now, Dan, should we put
1: John Favreau in there along with Lucas and Kathleen and, and Dave? I don't know. It's it's a little early, perhaps, to say that. We've only had one season, plus, the, of course, the upcoming season of The Mandalorian. But he certainly deserves an asterisk at this point.
0: OK, well, there we go. And, and speaking of we've only had one season, uh, but we got news today You know about season two.
1: We sure did. Yeah, we, we got it. I love that on social media it said, this is the day instead of this is the way. <laughs> oh,
0: oh, that's it's I I missed the Ugnut thing. Okay. Um, but yeah, we, we now officially have a day when uh Mandalorian is returning to Disney Plus. Uh that's October 30th, which is just eight weeks in change.
1: Um pretty great. Pretty great. Everyone is of course anticipating they see this and everyone thinking, oh, here comes the trailer, oh, there's something wrong because there isn't a trailer. Well, no, there isn't anything wrong. They're just not ready to show the trailer yet because this is part of the marketing machine that Disney and Lucasfilm are are black belts and karate in. So all we have is that beautiful image. And I'm sure you noticed and you've seen the comparison shots. But the original Mandalorian logo is that brown with the Mandalorian front and center. Now it's a nice crisp blue with the Mandalorian and the child there looking at one another. And I do like, and I'll put on my English teacher hat for a second, I like that the blue creates more of a warm atmosphere and that they are a tandem. But other than that, that's really all we can really glean from this, in my opinion.
0: Now, it's interesting you bring up, you know, The Mandalorian and The Child, because there was this great interview Kathleen Kennedy did with The Wrap back on August 21st, where she talked about when they were looking to establish a tone for the show. You know that the, the relationship between the child and Mandalorian. John Favreau brought up Peter Bogdanovich's 1973 comedy drama *Paper Moon*. Have you ever seen that? Or? I have not. It's it's a it's a, it's a wonderful sort of character study. It's basically a uh, Ryan O'Neill plays this Depression era con man who uh, agrees to take this this young orphan girl uh, to from Kansas who aren't home in Missouri and uh, what makes this interesting is the orphan girl who they kind of insinuate the con man may be the father of uh, was act, was played by Ryan O'Neill's actual daughter Tatum O'Neill um, and it's it's they really it, it really sort of permeates the film that the, the actual relationship that these two have uh, and anyway it's a huge success in in uh, 73, in fact, uh, Tatum uh, wins the Academy Award that year for Best Supporting Actress. And because this is the 70s and, you know, things like MASH or hit television series, uh, ABC decides to develop a um, a, a sitcom of, of, of Paper Moon, uh, which it debuts on that network in September of uh, 1974, so literally, you know, 15 months after it's in theaters, it's on ABC. Uh, but instead of Tatum O'Neill playing the the young orphan girl, they get Jodie Foster. And what I've always found fascinating about this is that this, the series is very short-lived, Dan. Only runs till January of 75, and so she finishes working on the sitcom. And the very th- next thing that Jodie goes up for is Star Wars. Um, you know, she's, she, she's one of the, the folks that George Lucas looks at for, for Leia. And I, I think as we were pregaming, you wanted to point out there were a number of people that George looked at for Leia, right?
1: Yeah. Quite a few people. She was, she was in the mix. I don't know how strongly they ever considered her, but I mean, I guess, I guess now we look at it sort of, it was Monday morning quarterbacks because of the oh, yeah. the incredible amount of work and body of work that jody foster produced and, and acted in, but it is pretty great i mean talk about i mean if ever there was a movie that lent itself to trivia it's the original star wars
0: no 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 absolutely absolutely but what i what i find fascinating is that um evidently and, and this was during a time when george was thinking okay maybe maybe it could really really be young and that would be an interesting bend on the story and that was what was appealing about jody She was only 13 and a half when she's uh, or or she would have only been 13 and a half when they were filming. Uh, It started filming in March of 76. Um, But but I forget who pointed out to him. It's like, look, child labor law. She can only be on the set for so many hours a day. Uh, This is a giant effects picture. You know, uh, maybe we should go with somebody a little older and Carrie Fisher, who is going to be 19. uh, You know, again, this wouldn't this wouldn't be an issue at all. And so long story short, we got, you know, we got Carrie Fisher, who, you know, became the Princess Leia and the General Organa we love today. Uh, And Jodie, as you mentioned, went on to have, uh, you know, a ridiculously successful career. But what I've always found funny. um, Well, uh, two things. One is that, uh, you know, (laughs) Jodie doesn't get Star Wars. Because of child labor laws. But she gets Taxi Driver, where she plays a child prostitute, and is on the set of this violent R-rated film. Yes. Uh, But the very next movie she lands is a a musical called Bugsy Malone, which is shot by Alan Parker in London at Pinewood Studios in late 75 and early 76. And it actually, again, George was right. The production ran long because the cast of this musical was entirely children. So they were constantly coming up against the child labor laws. Um, But anyway, long story short, um, they finished production in, you know, the late winter, early spring of 76. And as they're tearing down the sets of Bugsy Malone, what sets are being loaded into the sound stages of Pinewood? But Star Wars sets. So, uh, you know, I mean, uh, there's so much overlap. Yes. Uh, and speaking of overlap, though, the other thing that uh, I, I also found fascinating is that I think you and I have talked about this. That when George was looking for that just that right mix for Leia and Luke and Han. He tried different combinations of, of performers working together. I, was it Christopher Walken and Amy Irving who were one set of uh,
1: Han and Leia? I, I believe I so, think? and then um, Cindy Williams mm-hmm. and uh, William Cat. Yep. Yeah, well, <laughs> Drew this, Taylor. What I
0: love about, yeah. Oh, what I love about this, though, <laughs> is supposedly, again, to sort of play up the age difference, uh, when he was looking at Jodie Foster as a possible Leia, the hand for that grouping was supposedly Nick Nolte, who, you know, again, didn't get the part either. But 44 years later, you know, here he is part of the Mandalorian as the voice of
1: Q. Q. Queel. Cleo. Cleo. Queel uh, The young guy. Yeah. Um, not Cleo but, the know. cat. Queel. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Again, you know, that, it's not like this is my job, you know, that, that I should be learning these names. <laughs> That's OK. So, all right. Anyway, um, speaking of, of limited series at Disney, I don't know if you also saw that that there, there was some info about uh, out there about uh, the Obi-Wan Kenobi limited series. Um, no, do tell. Well, it's um, again we've got Deborah Chow who directed two episodes of The Mandalorian, who's the you know the, the director all the way through for for this limited series, uh, and she says it's kind of interesting. She, she she admits that this experience going in is going to be different, be, you know, just in terms of the sheer lo- workload, and also frankly, she's going to miss having the team um, that you know, well. Remember when we were watching the Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian show and group that sat around the table there razzing on each other um, you know the Deborah's by herself doing this one uh, though she is working with Jose Amini uh, who's writing the uh, the script for uh, uh, the obi one Kenobi limited series and Jose in an interview with the Hollywood reporter was talking about how he really is looking forward to doing a, a limited series with this character as opposed to, something like a 2018 solo, a star Wars story. And he just talked about the fact, the problem with a two hour long movie is in modern Hollywood, you're expected to go from action scene, to, uh, action sequence to action sequence and all that. And, you know, the nice thing about um, a limited series is it's going to allow the time to explore character. Uh, and also, th- there'll be time built in, uh, you know, for the story to breathe. And, and the other thing that Husney's really looking forward to here is that when you watch the prequels, the, the Obi Wan Kenobi who leaves, you know, young Luke with, you know, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, is a very different person from, uh, you know, the, the old Ben that Luke seeks out in a new hope. And it's so the notion of writing for how, you know, the, uh, revenge of the Sith, Obi-Wan becomes old Ben. Um, that's what, that's what they're genuinely looking forward to.
1: That transition um, is key. And that's one of the reasons why I think the season three episode or the season three episode twin sons from star Wars rebels, where Steven Stanton voices, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, the way that he acts, even the way he he changes the movement of his saber from an attack mode to a sort of a defensive position is, is something of an indicator, of transition from Ewan McGregor to Sir Alec Guinness. And that's just done in a couple of minutes. So there there's definitely something there for them to work with and build upon.
0: But that's the episode where, uh, again, if you haven't seen this, folks, I don't really want to spoil this, but. This is where Darth Maul meets his end, right?
1: And right. I think he despoiled it. Yeah. Eh, well, <laughs> it's been out for a long I'm time. Not, have I pointed out I'm not really good at this job? <laughs> no. Man, I, no I, one's going to believe that. Uh, yeah, everyone loves but, you, and they should. No. Um, but no, I think I think that that one is such a, a wonderful episode, and, and it's it does sort of culminate in what happens with Darth Maul or Maul, I guess, no. at that point, but. It really does to me. That's a perfect snapshot of what we're talking about here with who is building upon this story and how they're making it work. And, and like you, we joked around at the beginning of the show. There are more cooks in the kitchen than we realize, and they are making some magic.
0: Yeah, yeah. I just you know the, you know, the, the weird thing is that Twin Sons is such you know think about it. It's like it's it's twenty two minutes of animation. It's this beautiful. Uh, piece of economy and it's just sort of like you know again they deliver so much with with so little and it's just sort of like for me the problem is the bar is set so high and supposedly this is four to six hours worth of show and it's just sort of like okay what do you do with that yeah it's a lot Um, of sand yeah (laughs) (laughs) it is it is okay and and speaking of revisiting characters that we know and in a different way did you see the well you must have you know that that starwars.com the announcement today about you know who's coming on the canvas of the high republic uh, launch
1: oh yes the the one and only grand master yoda a a a strapping young 700 year old
0: well, see, no, and, and that's that's the thing I, I actually want to talk about here. Because um, I, I, I think we've talked previously about Rob Coleman, uh, the gentleman who actually animated Yoda's fight with uh, Dooku. Yes. In, uh, Attack of the, the Clone, And I, I remember going to the Visual Effects Society And, you know, Rob was on stage telling the story about, you know, when literally like the two page breakdown of the movie, you know, hit his desk. And it's like, you know, Yoda has lightsaber fight with Lord Dooku and, and Rob, who had to figure out how to stage this and then create the the rig you know for the cg yoda he just he he, you know he described putting his head down on his desk and almost crying because it's like i'm gonna be the one to ruin star wars you know because i I have to figure out how to make yoda young and and, you know young enough or vital enough to have this battle with dooku and you know and and what's funny is when you read all of this description that that was posted on you know starwars.com today about how this is, I mean, yes, he's a younger Yoda. He's, he's 700 years younger and he's, he's, you know, and so it's a question of, well, how, how do you make somebody look, it was 900, look 700, you know, and and, and, like how many wrinkles do you take off of his face or, or for that matter, because it's set in the high Republic period, how does he dress differently? Um, and, uh, I don't know. What a the fun dance. challenge,
1: really, for for a designer. No, no, what a no, great no, challenge! No doubt, no doubt, and the piece of concept art looks great. Um, Done by Grant thing. Griffin, by the way, who is the same artist for the Star Wars Dark Legends and the Star Wars Myths and Fables books, both written by George Mann, and uh, it, it's a it's a gorgeous piece of art. And there's two images on StarWars.com that that show it. Wow. Okay. Uh, but
0: I get a, was it a Troy Elders, who's an art director at Lucasfilm? Um you know, Yoda's not that much younger, you know, seven hundreds and 900 So we thought, you know, he could have a different outfit, maybe more than one. Um I'd, but again it's it's slightly younger, but fairly close to, to how he looks in Phantom Menace. So it's it's a hard Venn diagram to line up. And but at the same time it reminded me there's this great joke that Jerry Funk Seinfeld used to tell about You know, the awkward social situations we all find ourselves in. And he said, you know, picture you have a friend who used to be 400 pounds who's lost 100 pounds. And which is, don't get me wrong, huge personal accomplishment, but he's still 300 pounds. He's still overweight, you know, and it's like, but this is the first time you see him. So what do you do? You over compliment you know, because, again, you want to, you know, you want to reward the friend, you know, for having accomplished this. So, oh, my God, look at you. You look like a stick, you know, and it just, you know, you you bury the needle in the other direction. So, so, again, I looking today at that, that wonderful piece of concept art that you mentioned of Yoda, it's just sort of like, it's like, what do you say in a situation? Wow, you look great. Have you done something different with your ear here? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Um i am still very much looking forward to everything uh that the High Republic uh you know is trying to do here.
1: And right. And it only makes sense that Yoda would be in it if if, if it's you know in the heyday of the Jedi and it's hmm. only a couple hundred years before the Phantom Menace, then Yoda has to be in it. He has to be front and center.
0: Oh, no, no, absolutely. But what's kind of interesting, and again, that, that's what's tantalizing about this whole High Republic thing is the teases. You know, they talk about uh, in, in this period of of Yoda's life, he's he's still a respected member of the Jedi High Council, but he's more of a journeyman. You know, he's he's out in the world, but at the same time, he's also still a teacher. He's Chuck Norris. So, yeah, yeah. Just going to be fascinating to see. Uh, you know, you know where this goes, and you know. But again, this all gets started in, in January of
1: next year, right? Or, Yes, they it's it was moved back a, a couple of times, but January is the new current date and it's wow, it's gonna be here before you know it. Not not it's gonna not as soon as the eight weeks till the season two of The Mandalorian, but it's gonna be a lot of fun. Can't wait, can't wait.
0: Okay, so now we were just talking about folks who changed up their looks and uh Daisy Ridley after she completed working on Rise of Skywalker, changed up her look a little bit. Um, and in fact, she just did, uh, uh, an interview, I think with, with EW, where she talked about how, um, because right after that JJ Abrams movie came out, she wasn't getting cast in anything. And, you know, uh, in a weird sort of way, she said it was actually a good thing. Uh, the quote here is that, that, you know, she said it was, she was forced to slow down. So it was good for me mentally. Because Star Wars had been such a big thing in my life, um, but she talked about it at the beginning of this this year, 2020, nothing was coming through. There were loads of things that she auditioned for and then didn't get, and she's like, "Oh, now no one wants to employ me." Uh, but then she had that she had that moment, and but then she said, "Well, everything in its right time." And um, and let's be completely honest here: COVID, uh, you know, which has impacted everything in the industry. Probably impacted this as well. Uh, but she since, uh, Daisy since landed a role uh, in Chaos Walking, where she's going to be playing alongside or uh, opposite uh, Peter Parker, uh, you know, uh, Tom Holland.
1: Oh, that's going to be great. That's a great combo. Yep.
0: And she also is doing some voice work now. There's a new Xbox PC game. minutes coming out and that that's that's a very lucrative area for actors to be in right now but
1: certainly um
0: daisy had um a great working experience in the star wars trilogy on the other hand john boyega if we're to go by some of the quotes that popped up online today maybe did not um but dan and i'll talk about that in just a moment and we're back. Um, okay, so have you seen any of this stuff coming out of uh, the British GQ interview uh, John did for the October issue? Which, by the way, folks, you can it's available for digital downloading right now, and it hits newsstands this Friday.
1: I have seen it. Not only did I look at the at the some of the snippets on social media, but I actually read the article.
0: Okay, and I want to stress here, folks, I would suggest right from the top, this is really what you want to do. You want to read the entire article because uh, context is really crucial given some of the stuff that that John says. Um, and I, I want to stress here, John actually says some very positive things as part of this piece. I mean, for example, uh, he goes out of his way to defend J.J. Abrams or praise him. Uh, for coming in to do what he, uh, John basically calls a salvage job on Rise of Skywalker. You oh, know, the, yeah, the, yeah. What, yeah. it says literally everyone needs to leave, to leave my boy alone. He wasn't even supposed to come back and try to save your movie. Um, on the other hand, he doesn't flat out come out and say bad things about Ryan Johnson, but it's kind of, you know, by omission. Um you know he talks about how on the last Jedi they gave all the nuance to Adam Driver all the nuance to Daisy Ridley and sort of insinuating that
1: Finn was kind of left um hanging Finn's arc what well, he had an arc in the Force Awakens mm-hmm. he didn't have much of an arc in the last Jedi and he had zero less than zero in the Rise of Skywalker because they just dropped the whole thread about him starting to become in tune with the Force and, and possibly what might happen with that. It literally is never mentioned again once they get – once she's about to face the Emperor and, and with Ben Solo. Don't get me wrong. In a weird sort of way, it's very pleasing to have the three of them
0: bouncing off of one another the way they do in the middle of the movie. It's the thing that and, – and as part of this article um, – John goes out of his way to to actually call out the Walt Disney Company uh, uh, in regard to how they handled the most recent Star Wars. And and this, I think, is the quote that is really going to make it waves right now. And basically, he said, do not bring out a, a black character. Market them to be much more important in the franchise than they are and then have them push to the side. It's not good. I'll say that straight
1: up. He's not wrong either. I mean, that that's no, that's exactly no. what happened. That happened to uh, Kelly Marie Tran's character as well. Mm-hmm. Just that the both of them really just got hardly anything to do in the third movie, and that always has bothered me. It it, it
0: has, and also the other thing, frankly, uh, that's worth noting here is that you know when it was announced that that John was going to be in the initial Star Wars. Uh, you know, the, the the first brand new film, you know, uh, you know the, the, uh, the Force Awakens, um, well, he talks about it. He says, I'm the only cast member who had their own unique experience on the, that franchise based on the race. No one else had the uproar and the death threats sent to their Instagram direct messages and social media saying black this or black this or you shouldn't be a stormtrooper. No one else had that experience. And yet, people are surprised that I'm this way, you know, that's my frustration. Um, and, you know, I,
1: you know, seriously, uh, we can't possibly as two white males, we can't possibly understand how he feels. We can certainly empathize and understand and, and, you know, much respect and love to him for what he put up with and the grace and the dignity he portrayed, you know, through the years of creating these stars films. And, Now that the dust has settled, he's having a chance to just be very candid. And I, I totally respect and admire that. And I wish there was more of that. You have to, you have to. Now I'm hoping, especially given the way
0: Disney and Lucasfilm behaved after, you know, John spoke in London back in early June about black lives matter. I mean, they were totally supportive and, you know, behind him. I'm hoping that, they can get behind him for being this candid, you know, uh, you know, in fact, he closed out, uh, this, the star Wars related portion of this interview by saying, so, you know, what do you want me to say? What they want me to say is I enjoyed being a part of it. It was a great experience. No, no, no. I'll say that when it actually was a great experience and. Uh, a very wise woman, one Nancy Statler once told me, you can't tell other people how to feel and this is legitimately how John feels. And it's it, but weirdly timed though, because um, at, on the tail end of our, our last looking at Lucas home, Dan and I were talking about what should we do for the, our next show. And we both found out that for, for some reason and I, I cannot understand this, Dan. How it is that I missed Red Tails when it was initially released to theaters in, in 2012. I, you know, I, for the life of me, I can't figure out why it is I didn't check this film out. Um, how did it get by you?
1: I remember it being out and I remember wanting to see it because George Lucas was attached to it. But by the time I got around to it, that was actually around the time when I was planning proposing to my wife. And oh. then, and then when we ended up getting married, so I think that was probably what was on my mind first and foremost. But I always did want to see it, and now I can say that I have.
0: Okay, well, let, let me officially absolve you. Of, <laughs> you know, that's the ultimate get out of jail free card right there. I was getting ready to propose to my wife. It's like you're up there. Look, me, on the other hand, I have no excuse, and which is why I was embarrassed. I, you know, this movie, by the way, folks, is available. It was a, it released through 20th Century Fox, so it's now part of Disney's Film Library. You can watch it on Disney Plus uh, whenever you want. And I cannot stress highly enough that you should go watch this movie immediately. I was floored. It's very, very powerful, very entertaining. Um, But but at the same time, it's just sort of like, you know, uh, this is a project that evidently Lucas has been working on since 1988. Uh, He had... Heard the tale of the Tuskegee Airmen and you know and, and all that they had accomplished in during World War II and really wanted to honor them and and spent years developing the project. And and for me, what's what's fascinating is when you watch all of the air battles and and such, it's it's so clearly all of the expertise from doing, you know, the 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 effects battle, you know, for the most recent Star Wars trilogy—it's right up there. It's—it's it's, you, know, uh, you know, they they used everything they learned to deliver this amazingly entertaining modern World War II movie that is, but at the same time, is is such a, a tribute to those types of you know war films that were actually made during World War II.
1: Oh yes, absolutely. I I think so. It's a, it, it's kind of like a a love letter to classic world war ii films i think but but also brings up an incredibly important aspect that is as often overlooked and that is the the horrible element of racism and how even in when black people are trying to help fight for our country they still have so many obstacles they have to overcome
0: oh yeah no no absolutely and they they, they do a wonderful job of of sort of delineating that but at the same time telling uh you know a a classic war story i mean there's so much of the 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 world war ii genre you know we get with this one we get a we get a, a you know a prison camp escape uh we get you know you know you know friends making sacrifices um and and the planes the planes look amazing i mean you know um and i guess that's the other part that i am i'm almost embarrassed um because you know let's face it if we look at the original star wars uh from uh, you know 77 they actually talk about as they would were waiting for effect scenes to be um you know completed so they could then be dropped into the work print George would cut in scenes from war, you know, World War II films from the 40s and the 50s that had, you know, an approximation of the feeling or the shot or that sort of thing. So, you know, again, George, you know, knew these films inside out. Um, in fact, isn't um, I'm, I'm blanking the name of the British World War II film, uh, the, the Attack on the Dam that, that was so, supposed to be the inspiration. For uh, flying into the trench and, and trying to, you know, uh, uh, throw the the bomb
1: down the the heating duct. Is right? that bridge on the River Kwai? Is it? The river, the river, no, no, it's it's, have, it's uh, Guns and Avalon.
0: I should have had this thing.
1: But seriously,
0: it is you know, uh, it is such a wonderfully done film. It has uh, this absolutely amazing cast of. of you know, uh, 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 performers. You know, from Cuba, Cuba Gooding Jr. on down. Uh In fact, I, I think you and I were talking about Michael B. Jordan. Uh, be, a young Michael B. Jordan's in it too. Yeah, yeah. You know, the the, the the Killmonger from 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 Black Panther. In fact, that that was the one thing that really kind of surprised me, given what an amazing ensemble cast this has. Uh, you know, I I was honestly kind of surprised not to see Chadwick Boseman uh, among the cast. And, Same here. Um, yeah, and again, that that was another sad loss. Um, just this past week, but oh, that um, that really that sure. really
1: affects me. That was terrible.
0: Yeah. No, no, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, then you know, you know, when you factor in what an amazing body of work you know, he put together in, you know, in in such a short time to lose him at just 43 years of age.
1: Did Uh, you see Harrison Ford talking very highly about him because of the film 42 that they were starting together?
0: Oh, that's right. That's right. He played the owner of the ball club,
1: right? That's right. Yeah. There was this thing, I believe, with the Hollywood Reporter the other day where he he talked about Chadwick Boseman and, and what kind of man he was and uh, it, it's it's very moving. I highly encourage you to to look it up, but it, it, it was it really spoke very beautifully about Chadwick.
0: Okay, well, with, you know, speaking of things to, to check out, seriously, folks, you know, this coming Labor Day, uh, if you are looking for something to sit down with the family and watch Red Tails, and again, it's it you know from two thousand twelve, and you know the the weird thing, it kind of this is film that kind of fell through the cracks because remember what was it just? A few months after this was released to theaters, was when uh, the Walt Disney Company bought Lucasfilm. Yes, and you know, uh, and you know, it just it, as a result of which it, it just got kind of overshadowed by oh, Disney's going to revive Star Wars and Indiana Jones, and uh, you know, and it was this film, and what was the other one? Strange Music, the the CG, um, Strange Magic. Strange magic. Uh, Same thing. That that, that kind of got caught in the lurch. But um, this is definitely a film, by the way, folks, that that needs to be revisited, especially today. Um, So seriously, if if you're looking for something, you know, good to watch on Disney Plus, and there's a lot of good stuff on Disney Plus, but this, uh, you know, uh, out of the, the, the 20th Century Fox catalog from 2012, Red Tails cannot express highly enough uh, you know that this is worth checking out and worth Um, mentioning
1: also that while the characters are based on real people these are not these are not uh, depictions of real historical figures
0: no no again but it it does start with the what is it the based on true events and yes uh, you know and does then close out with mentioning you know the the amazing record of the Tuskegee
1: Airmen Um, yeah it's 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 really it's a really wonderful way to uh, introduce your family to something historically that needs to be talked about. A lot, a lot of brave heroes out there that people don't know about. Yeah. And,
0: and, and then again, I love that, you know, George put dear Lord. Okay. So if it came out in 2012 and he started working on it in 1988, that's almost 25 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it looks it, I mean, the the planes are amazing. Um, and, and, you know, they, 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 they shot in Czechoslovakia to get that, that, you know, because again, it's initially the story set in, in Italy and eventually moves to, to, well, over Germany. But, um, but again, don't want to get too much away. <laughs> well, it's spoiler, we win the war. Um, <laughs> that's a spoiler funny. I can get behind. That's a spoiler I can get by too, but uh, but yeah, seriously check that out. And uh, by the way, if you're also you're looking for other entertaining things to do, uh, you know, uh, this weekend, uh, you know, over the long Labor Day weekend, there of course is you know all of the the wonderful, uh, you know, coffee with Kenobi stuff. And what have you been up to over there lately?
1: Sure. Well, we we've spent a couple of weeks talking about celebration, both. Uh, reflecting on what we're going to miss the most about Celebration as well as what it's like to cover a Star Wars Celebration if you were a content creator or a podcast or what have you. So that was great. And then this week, I have Clayton Sandell of ABC News talking with me about visual effects and how they help to tell a story. And that was really, really fun as well. Oh, Okay. Um, And now what about on the Patreon side of the street. Yeah, on the Patreon show, Cwk Prover, we we just discu- we covered the DC Fandom event in great detail, and I uh, ranted for about twenty minutes about how Batman should be. Uh, so that so if you're interested in my opinion on that, be sure to check that out. And then this week, I kind of turned the tables on my co-hosts Tom Gross and Corey Club, and I created a series of twelve questions that I did not forewarn them about. Uh, ranging uh, from, you know, what's your favorite food to more compelling things like, well, I don't want to give it away, but suffice to say all the hosts laughed and cried during the show. It was very, very powerful, and I think people will enjoy it. It's a good way to get to know sort of what makes us tick.
0: Okay, and I'm sorry, I have to go back. I have to ask because did did this Batman Rand have anything to do with the flash
1: movie that's coming, or uh no I'll just send you I can send you the audio if you want, but it's it's uh more about how once we lose the core of who Batman is and he just becomes pugilistic and about punching, then I feel like we've lost the essence of the character hmm. okay yeah.
0: no I get that I mean he is supposed to be a brilliant detective and um yes. <clears throat> you know, the weird thing is the only time I really saw that indulged was the Batman,
1: the animated series that yes. they, they did as part of the WB. I mean, Bruce, Tim you know, and Paul Dini, the, be, the best version of Batman ever made that doesn't involve Chris Nolan. You're not wrong. You're not wrong.
0: OK, uh, well, if you're not listening to all of the Kusla Coffee with Kenobi related stuff, uh, we do have a few things over. the uh, Jim Hill Media podcast network. We've got Dizzy Dish with Lentesta. We've got uh, Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor. In fact, Mr. Taylor and I will be recording a new show of that tomorrow afternoon. Uh, let's see. We have the Marvel Us uh, Disney podcast. In fact, Aaron and I just did a show about uh, what was largely about the career of Chadwick Boseman. Uh, working on a new universal joint. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll be bringing back the I Want That podcast soon, uh, as soon as uh Shelly viability is up to stuff again um tell you what folks uh if you could do uh Dan and I a favor if you could head over to iTunes and rate and recommend not only coffee with Kenobi but also looking at Lucasome, that would be very helpful uh if you really 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 uh like what you heard here tonight if you could head over to uh bandcamp subscribe uh you know, that helps keep the lights on. And let's see. Uh, if you know, and again, Dan, I, I, you know, I. How is it that you have time to teach, given how much stuff you do on social media? I'm always kind of astounded how many different threads I find you in.
1: Oh, well, that's that's fun. Well, I mean, it, it's certainly a, a fun little escape for me. I I go out of my way to avoid the Twitter drama and just have fun and engage with people who like to have fun conversations. So. When there's free time and downtime, that's when I go on Twitter time.
0: <laughs> well, no, it's great stuff. But, but if people are looking for you on Twitter, uh, what's your handle? Where can they find you?
1: They can find me at MrZerr, M-R-Z-E-H-R, and you can certainly find Coffee with Kenobi all over social media and on YouTube.
0: Okay, cool, cool. And Nancy would like to remind you, if you're looking for Jim Hill Media stuff, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Jim Hill Media and on Facebook at Jim Hill Media News. And uh, again, I, I guess that's going to do it for this week's looking at Lucasfilm, folks. But again, uh, just two bits of homework. Seriously, if you're you're seeing the John Boyega co- quotes, uh, honestly, is dancing this. So the thing really to do here to understand what's going on is go to the the, the full length British GQ article and read it in context, you know, uh, or read it in full so you have context. And then finally, again, if you're looking for a great film for the family, uh, for this Labor Day weekend, head over to Disney Plus and, you know, fire up a copy of, uh, you know, Red Tails, uh, like a really a you know, a Lucasfilm production that, that is long overdue to be rediscovered.